welcome back. It is time for another man. Lex, it's good to be here. And I always good to tap in. Always. I know you're kind of upset right now. Um, Why you say that? Very, very disappointing for our boy Lex because uh, Jake Paul took the L today. Nah, you know what? Like, I changed my mind. Like, as they were, like, reading off the instructions in the middle of the ring, I decided I don't care who. Really? Really. I'm surprised it took you that long. That long? Really? I mean, that's, maybe it's kind of quick. I don't know. Well, um, guys, thank you so much for choosing us. Um, we are going to get into all of that stuff. But first, let's start off with Subriel Matias versus Jeremiah's Ponce. I actually I think Jeremias is how he was saying it. Um Jeremias. Yo, can I get some credit? Can I get some credit with Matias? Can I can I be the conductor of the, the hype train? I feel like I was on it early. What hype train might you be talking about? Subro Matias hype train. Like we going full steam ahead. Wait, I just want to put that out on. there. You don't get to be on the Subro when were you when did you start? What? Nah come on. I was when the, did you start? Was, when? Yep. After when he beat uh the the MTK guy. Jukumbayev. Uh yes, when he beat Jukumbayev, I was like, all right, let's get it. We all understand. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. that I'll give it to you. And I also wanna say I'm very proud of you because if you would have said after the daughter chef fight, I'd have been like, dude, I don't know if we can continue this podcast anymore. <laughs> that nah, that, that a, would that be cap. Is... I mean, I, I watched that fight and and like, I just looked at it as like a one-off fight. And then once PBC got him, I was kind of excited because I was like, all right, man, like this guy has to be a problem if he did what he did to Dadashev. I mean, like RIP. It's not what you want to see, but that's you know, I... like he's t- he's tough. And then he lost the fight with the with the top rank thing against. Uh... Oh my gosh. Ananyan, thank you. I'm struggling with all these guys' names. Lost to Ananyan. I was like, ah, oh, it's disappointing. Came back, beat the shit out of Malik Hawkins in what was very obvious. And I was like, all right, I need to see him in like that real was free action. money. Yeah, that was. And it was wasn't he the the underdog in that fight somehow? I don't remember, but that was free money. It, he was underdog, or it was like a close fight. Either way, it was ridiculous. But yeah. So anyway, move on to Jukumbayev, and I was like, okay, if he gets the dub right here, like he's that boy. And he did his thing, and now we're here, champion. It's lit. So, for me, I when he got when he signed with PBC, I actually didn't like the move. I didn't understand it. I didn't think that, like, for me, I've seen guys how they perform in the wake of uh, fights where they have very tragic endings, and he obviously was coming off of one with the Dadashev fight. And so I wasn't really confident that this dude was ever going to be able to be himself again. But nah, let me tell you, I was wrong. This guy has gotten stronger, more violent, more relentless. I mean, he, he I, I legitimately think that amongst boxing right now, he's on like probably... a the shortest list possible of must-watch fighters. Yeah, I tweeted yesterday, and I, unfortunately I got no replies, but I wrote, Subriel Matias, most exciting fighter in boxing. I would lean towards yes. Like, there, there for me, 
and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anyone in boxing right now that it's like you're 100% going to get someone who is in the ring to like for pure chaos. Like the fight might not end up that way, but it, it sure as hell is not going to be Matias's fault because he's going in there to kill you. And I'm, I'm not trying to like mix words up or be funny. He's that violent and he's that dangerous. Um, and I spoke about it last podcast. Like m- most guys like who that have his style or that have been in a tragic kind of fight and come back, they come back different usually. But Matias comes from like a very, very unique background. I mean, he said in in the uh, pre-fight buildup, he got shot at like 40 times and hit two, two of the 40 times. Was in jail for like two or three years. I've read, I think, somewhere that his best friend was killed. I mean, like, this is a different type of dude we're talking about. All and right, he so- fights with that, like, he fights with the temperament of his background, which is extremely rough and extremely, like, like wild. So I just want I mean, to say... I mean, even, like, look, what, last thing I want to say, I sent this clip to Angelo. Today, he's in Puerto Rico with, like, the Puerto Rican Rough Riders. He, he's being followed by a caravan of, like, 100 motorcycles celebrating his victory. And it, it doesn't look like your traditional, like, victory parade. It looks like some, like, gang shit. Like, this dude is cut from a very different cloth than most fighters. So Just saying. What I want to say is is that if he got shot at 30 or 40 times and he then did two years, uh, what were the two years for? You asking me? Yeah. He was selling drugs, to be honest. Like, that's on wax. He was selling drugs and they moved him to a prison somewhere in, in the South, like like Atlanta or Florida or something like that. Man. Like, yo, the, the dude's story is crazy, man. It's, it's whack that, like, I don't say it's whack, but, like, I would love an interview uh, in, like, English and someone, like, could really ask all these questions because he has a really compelling story. And I think it would help people understand, like, like what we're watching. Because people talk about him, like, we're looking at Jared Hurd or Margarita. This is not that. I, whenever Matias loses, it'll be sudden and, like, out of nowhere. But this isn't your traditional, like, volume puncher, plotter, durable chin like this is a very very different thing and i'll no. get into like why i think he's different but he's not like what people what people think he is he's not oh i think he's a lot better than jared Hurd ever was because jared Hurd never showed that he had anything resembling defense even at his peak jared Hurd was not a good defender on the inside even though he fought well on the inside matias is actually a pretty good defender on the inside once Ponce committed to like turning it into a sort of ear-to-ear fight, he was cooked. And you know, I I guess before we we go back to praising Matias and all that, which he certainly deserves it, I do want to come out and say that Ponce chose to fight the ballsiest game plan I think I've <laughs> seen in years. Now, I didn't say smart because it certainly wasn't smart, but maybe they figured our only way of like really you know, putting a dent in this guy is we have to blitz him early because he's very hittable. Uh, If we stay on the outside, we can hit him. And we're longer, so we might as well take it to him and look to, uh, you know, sap a lot of the energy that he seems to build throughout the fight so that he's not breaking me down, you know, in 7, 8, 9, 
and drowning me in the championship rounds, which is, you know, easily the most obvious way Matias is going to beat somebody. And so Ponce comes out, guns blazing in that first round. And I mean, it, it was pretty cool to watch. I mean, it was crazy to see somebody go at Matias the way he did. And he looked fairly effective at it. And then in the second round, it looked like he realized, huh, this guy's not going anywhere and doesn't seem to be affected. And by the third round, Matias starts to back him up. And I feel like Ponce, at least his corner, completely realized we're out of our depth here. This is going to have a bad ending. Um, it didn't look like it on TV, maybe because I was kind of like enamored by the violence we were seeing unfold. But Deuce was there, and he told me, like, you know, Deuce, I saw I saw Deuce on TV. He was, like, in the second row, uh, said, yeah, if they didn't stop that fight, Ponte was going to get killed. And, I, I mean, you know, he was sitting up close. I, I, I was just like, I would like to see more rounds, please. But, yeah, Matias uh, really brought it on. But I, I, I liked what I saw from Ponce. I mean, Ponce's look good every fight that I've seen him in. But, obviously, Matias took him to a place that Ponce was just really not prepared to go to. But No, no I, Ponce, I looked, Ponce. Ponce looked great. Bring him back. Um, the fight actually went a lot like I thought it would. You know, I watched a little bit of the Ritson fight, um, maybe like two or three months ago. Cause like Matias is my guy a little bit. Right. And I wanted to see like what the matchup would look like. And I was like, wow, they fight a lot alike, but Ponce is not as sharp. And it ended up show like that manifested in the ring. Like he he bought it to Matias. He was trying to bust his ass, but you can't come with a game plan trying to replicate Matias if you're not as sharp as he is. He's I'll go on wax right now, and I, I think he's one of the sharpest punchers in boxing. You ask me. This like is, you have well, go on. I, I'll put a list together real quick. Like you have Inoue, Bud, uh Matias. I would say Canelo, but Canelo's kind of like falling off a little bit. So I, uh, I don't know if I want to put him there. Like Wilder, pre-Fury, like these are these are guys that like you give them an opening and they're gonna find it pretty quick. But the difference is most of those guys are like single shot punchers. Matias, yo, the dude throws like five, six, seven punch combos, and he is so like I've never seen a fighter like him that as soon as the opening pops up, he is on it. Like, the shot that hurt Ponce in the fight that, like, led to the knockdown, they were talking about a body shot. It wasn't a body shot. He he threw a three-punch combination, and he snuck in, like, a... It was, like, a three... A, a four-inch left hook. And it was so off rhythm and such a compact punch that, like, Ponce was not ready for it at all. And it, it completely rocked him. And then the, all the rest of the punches, like, you have no choice but to go down. I mean, I would say that he is like a really sharp puncher, but with of those guys you listed, I would even say that Matisse is a little different. Like those guys, like and especially Inouye. Inouye is is more of like um he not necessarily a sharpshooter, but he places his punches really well, and he's like those are loaded up shots that are coming. Um, Terrence Crawford is maybe a little closer because what I think with Matisse is that. 
for most of the fight, he's operating at a pretty like low, like the energy he's putting into what he's doing is pretty low. I mean, he's it seems like for most of the fight, he's only giving fifty percent, and that's why like he's you know he's land he's throw he's able to throw a lot. Um, he lands and it, it you know he's obviously doing damage, but then every so often, and especially like um, you saw it a lot in the last couple of rounds he dials it up and so he throws one or two punches at like the 50 percent, and then just unloads the like the three or four punch combination at like max power and like those are the shots where ponce's head was getting snapped back and um he he mixes that in so well that we don't usually see most guys um don't need to would they don't do that because they don't throw as many punches as matias does but um, yeah, Matias is certainly something else. Uh, and the question is like, okay, well, what next? You know, he's won the vacant IBF title. By the way, perhaps the most unim- unimpressed victory I've ever seen from a fighter who's won a world title. I mean, he just stood there like <laughs> staring, like 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 because I think he had mentioned like it was his dream to win a world championship, and I was like, I don't know, man, the way you responded. Seems like you dream of other things. I, I told you why. I told you why he was disappointed. Because he wanted uh, to knock Ponce out. Not only knock him, knock him out. One Yo, out. this guy. Yes, this. That's how this guy. I'm telling you, I see it. I promise you, Matias is, is this kind of guy that shows up to the fight with like aspirations of like, I I, I want to put this dude in the hospital. If I don't, is like I failed. I think he wanted to hurt him that badly. And that it's like sick and twisted, but like that's what time this dude is operating on. I really believe that. Um one one thing I want to get out before, like, you know, I don't know if we'll move on or whatever, but what I feel like makes him unique is, you know, if he was from America, he would fight completely different. Like he would fight like your traditional flickster. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has, like, legitimate hand speed, great athleticism, great, like, coordination and footwork and dexterity. Guys that are like that typically don't come forward and throw a lot of punches. They're taught to use their slickness and use their quickness and use their agility and use their speed. He's not like that. He's like a goon. And that's why, I don't know, I think he's different. People are like, oh, he's going to lose inevitably. Throw him in there with this guy and he'll be, he'll get beat. Throw him in with that guy and he'll get beat. And I, I, I don't think it's that simple with Matias. I think it'll take, like, a very special performance. It'll take a, lot, a very special performance or just, like, a lot of wear and tear to get him out of there, personally. Yeah, I mean, my, my question is what next for him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like, I, I think it depends on like what PBC wants to do with them. Right. Cause like, do you want to try to like make a baby star out of him or do you want to just continue to try to like make these like, you know, smaller show or smaller venue, like fight of the year kind of fights. Cause so far it's like, he's been in like three or four fights in a row that like you could argue are like amongst the top, 10 most exciting fights to watch in the year. So you could go that route or you could be like, all right, let's give him an easy touch. 
put him on the undercard of like a big fight and maybe let's see like what we could do with his Puerto Rican uh you know if he catches on with the Puerto Rican fans. I don't think either decision would be wrong. Um I don't know. And I, I do think this. I do think a fight with Gary Russell at Barclays, Antoine Russell, is like at some point we should get that. Like that that has fight of the year written all over it. I think Absolutely, the fight with Gary Antoine is, like, without question, going to be amazing. Um, I don't know if Gary Antoine has enough experience to deal with Matias. Um, I think Gary Antoine was, is, has a lot of actual boxing skill. Like, if he needs to, he can jump on the outside and, and, and really um, outbox Matias. But I don't know if he's been pushed enough to like um develop that as a pro just want to throw that out there i i want to quickly address the fight that i seen most people throwing out there which is regis progray um i think progray might be down to take it the question is is there money there for matias um to fight a lot of these guys because whether it's matias being the one bringing the title or in the case of unification I think Matisse is a guy that people are going to demand higher pay in order to get in the ring with. And um, Matisse is not that popular right now. And I don't think the available opponents bring a ton to the table in terms of star power. So, like, we may have a difficult situation where Matisse's star power needs to catch up with the risk that he brings to the ring in order for some of these fights to get made. Unfortunately, that is, uh, you know, that's... Matias ain't, uh, you know, he just kind of popped up, got himself a title, and now it's like, you know, the work to get him ex- additional exposure is necessary. Yeah, but even like, like being realistic, how does a Regis fight happen? Like, who's doing that fight? Um, that'd be a PBC fight. I mean, is is PBC gonna pay pay Regis while he's not with PBC? I don't see that. Uh, could be I wrong. Don't know. I don't know. They, they, they might. Um, I mean, I would, I would love to see Regis join PBC. I think it would make a lot of sense because what they're on pace to have what three of the four belts at uh at 140. Am I am I bugging or WBC, IBF, and WBA, right? Uh, or is is, is the WBA? Well, if 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 Progray came, they would have three. That's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They yeah. they would have three of the four. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think, man, wouldn't you love to see Progray versus Roly? I mean, you can make a lot of good Regis fights. Regis versus Roly. Regis I, I versus think, Antoine. Regis versus Matias. Regis we, versus uh, Roly. Regis versus Tank. There's a shitload of guys that would make great fights, but it it requires Regis to like. I don't know why he wants to like be on this. Uh, like one and done type of fight plan. I don't think it's smart, but he seems to like that arrangement. Uh, I think we mentioned in the past, but like you really cannot go wrong whatsoever with any Roly matchup. Anyway, let's quickly touch on the undercard. In the Kome, we had Jamal James versus um, Sheesh. I already forgot his name. Alberto <laughs> Palmetta. Beto, yeah, Beto, 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 whatever. Uh, what do you think? Was give me your uh, one liner on this one. Meh. 
Wow, that was that was that was rough. I, I Jamal James is one of those guys. It's like okay, I know he's not the the best welterweight in the world. I know he's probably so skinny that he can't make 154 because he won't <laughs> go past 150 pounds. I know that. Uh, but he's also one of like the top five most likable guys in boxing. Like you just hear anything about Jamal James's personal life, and he's just like a guy you can root for. Uh, not the greatest though. But no, he's one of the best guys. Absolutely. He's awesome. 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 Awesome guy. And he even like listening to like, he had one of the best mic'd up moments or whatever. Like, you know, like the post fight, they show all like the talking, like the yeah. trainer and the fighter does all the stuff he did sounded great. And like very relatable just in terms of like, this is like clearly a very good, good person. I mean, dude, that was a good win for him. I thought he, like, he performed really well. I liked what he did. I was happy to see him win. It was also a really good fight. I mean, Palmetto was, if he had more power, I mean, I think he could have knocked Jamal James out because he caught him with some really clean uh, power punches. I mean, I really liked what I saw from both guys. I definitely want to see them both in that mix of like that tier below title contention. Uh, just, you know, good undercard fights between guys that, you know, you, you're familiar with. Um, but yeah, that there was a moment where he was like, man, COVID fucked me up. And they said he had had it three times. And like, man, I can only imagine what he was going through to like actually bring himself to say that in the middle of a fight. Uh, but yeah. And then the opener, Elvis Rodriguez versus Joseph Adorno. Give me the one line. Um... Expected, I would say. I was kind of confused by like the the reactions to that fight. Everyone's like, "Oh, this was a mid off," and uh, <laughs> I'm like, "What do you? What did you guys expect? Like Elvis Rodriguez to just come out there and like wilder him? Like Rodriguez is cool, but like I, I don't know. I was never really like I wasn't super high on him. I wasn't down on him. He was just kind of a guy you watch because he's in pretty decent fights normally, like okay to decent. I thought the fight was okay to decent. Like I wasn't sure what people were expecting. Uh, it was all right. Elvis Rodriguez kind of reminds me of certain uh, a certain Puerto Rican fighter, like physically has superstar athleticism, but because of the either you can either blame it on the trainer or really just their the, their makeup as professionals. Um, I mean, really completely underwhelming, and you can imagine. I can imagine that if Elvis Rodriguez had a different trainer, like send that dude to Ismail Salas, I think within three fights, he would completely transform how he fights. And we would see him be a lot more effective than what he's doing right now. Because, I mean, it has been a long time since Freddie Roach has been a like a trainer that makes a positive difference for fighters uh, other than bringing them clout. And then I just want to point out one thing on the prelims. It was a fight that uh, there's a 10 and 0 prospect versus a guy who was like, I don't know, like eight and three. And the 10 and 0 prospect got flatlined badly by this dude who, um, I don't know. He, he honestly, I, I, it feels like this dude may wind up like winning a couple more fights and clawing his way onto TV. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy. I'd be really happy to see that. Yeah. Right. If you, if, if you're listening to this and didn't see this fight, Go on PBC social uh, handles, whether it's like Instagram or Twitter. It's very much worth seeing this knockout. This knockout was disgusting. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was bad. 
Um, anyway, Wait, real quick, real quick on the Elvis thing, I will say this. Just want to throw this out there. I think once he's in the ring with more um, action-packed opponent, he'll he'll be in more exciting fights. I think. Uh, I I just want to say too. I think Adorno is. I think he is really talented. I think physically he's underwhelming, and it's why. Um, I don't know. There's just something about him where you, you, you can just see it. He's never going to get over that hump. But at the same time, he is really talented. And, and like to me, he's like, that's what a gatekeeper is like. It's somebody who, if you need him to, you could toss him into a title shot. Like He could fill in there, and, and, and he can make a champion work. But realistically, he will, he will not win, uh, and the, the good contenders are not going to beat him. But he will keep a lot of pretenders out. And, um, you know, we, I think Elvis Rodriguez, definitely a, a contender at this point, but that dude needs work. I just want to say that I want to give Adorno a little bit of credit. Also, Adorno, not the most entertaining to watch too. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. All right, let's talk about Jake Paul. Jake Paul lost to Tommy Fury. You know, I, I went to my parents' house and, uh, ordered the fight. No, I didn't order the fight. <laughs> I had to bring my Apple TV to, uh, my parents' house, uh, and I could not set up the TV to make the sound work, which was very disappointing. So I watched the fight in complete silence. And based off of the reaction on social media, that was the right move. Because apparently Sean Porter was like Mark Kriegel on commentary, except about the Saudi, uh, the state of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Sean, uh, Sean's out of hand, man. I don't know what's <laughs> going on with him, but like he needs like a... Uh, uh, what do you call it? I was gonna say innovation, a fucking uh, innovation. innovation. He's out of control. Um, but yeah, so here's the question I'll ask you. Okay, let's get right to the point. Is it over for Jake Paul? I don't think so. I I I, I think he could just run uh, rematch uh, Tommy Fumbles and have a pretty like nice little payday and an exciting fight and a nice buzz. I mean, he's, he's got, like, a nice foil now. It's a good thing for Jake Paul, I think, because he was fighting all these guys who, had, who were true no-hopers. And, like, Jake will be able to argue, not that I agree, but that he deserved to win the fight. He got the knockdown. There was uh, Each guy had a point deduction, and a lot of the rounds were close. So he could just close. argue, like, hey, I should have won the fight. We got to run it back. He has a rematch. Tommy didn't, and he's lit. If he wins, all is forgotten. Not that I want to see more Jake Paul, but the, like the opportunity is there. I think. I think it's over. Um, now, based he, on what though? Several things. One, Jake Paul lost his fight. Lost it cleanly. Okay, I don't want to hear that that was a close fight. <laughs> Jake <agree>. Paul, <laughs> the one thing you cannot do to me is do not look one dimensional. You got to have other ideas. All right, that is just like the one thing that I, I, it's like a pet peeve of mine. Hate one-dimensional fighters. Unless you're bringing, you know, the power of God in one of your punches, all right then, you can be one-dimensional. But Jake Paul ain't that guy. And the entire fight was Jake Paul comes forward, maybe flashes out a jab, Tommy Fury throws punches, Jake Paul bends forward, throws his shoulder into Tommy Fury, and gets into a headlock. And then there was a clinch. Then he tries it again, and instead of bending forward, loops the right hand, misses, clinch. 
That was Jake Paul's entire game plan. The jab, the overhand right. He did nothing different. There wasn't very, there, like, there was no body work. There was no left hook. There was no right hook. There was no uppercut. I saw all those punches on display from Tommy Fury, and I'm not here to be a fan of Tommy Fury. I would have definitely liked to have seen Jake Paul flatten him, but I also know when somebody just was the better boxer, and that was Tommy Fury. Now, I could just go on a heel stuff and, and you know, say Jake Paul's like, you know, he should have won, blah, 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 but that's not what I saw. I really wanted to see Jake Paul win this fight, but Jake Paul looked like a guy who maybe was like getting better at some point, but it's long been the point since he's added anything else into his game. I'm like completely perplexed by what they were doing in training camp because what we saw could not have been it. So I think, you know, one, in terms of like his style, his skill as a boxer, this is probably as good as it's ever going to get. Okay. So one, that's not good. Now the other thing is, um, they try, they they try to make this fight three times for a reason, and it's because there wasn't anything else better out there. I think, based off what I've seen, Nate Diaz or I think it's Nate Diaz probably will beat him. Conor McGregor's never going to happen. So what other options do you have for an opponent? And from a numbers perspective. Jake Paul's numbers, while still good, you know, we're not going to, you know, say that he wasn't doing numbers, but the numbers were tailing. They were heading in the wrong direction. It wasn't a steady ascent up on the chart. It was a steady descent. The Jake Paul gimmick needed to have, you know, you have to top whatever it was that was last done. And Tommy Fury was not an increase over Anderson Silva. And so the fact that they had to go to Saudi Arabia tells me everything you I need to know about the direction of, of Jake Paul's numbers. I don't even think they sold out in Arizona when they went. And that was supposed to be like, uh, you know, a place that was going to be good for him. I mean, you know, they still, you know, they sold tickets. It's not like he's like, you know, playing to empty crowds or anything like that. But I think it's clear where this is all going. And the... The whole game has been shown. It's like, can can what happens if Jake Paul gets in the ring with some with a real boxer? Tommy Fury is not a real boxer, but he's a lot closer than anybody else that he's fought thus far. And Jake Paul lost. So, yeah, I think this is over now. I think we still got a ways to go before it completely like just flat lines. But we, I know which way the wind is blowing at this point. I mean, I've been saying for a while that like the the ride is over. I I, I don't know. I kind I just don't agree. I think they could just run it back, and I think they'll have like how successful I don't know, but I do think they can have a successful event. Now the real question is like Jake seemed pretty dejected that he lost. Like they asked him if he wanted a rematch, and he he did. He wasn't like like most guys who lose are like fucking right. I want the rematch. He was just kind of like eh. Like, yeah, I want it. And it's, I was just like, what? Like, so I don't know, man. I don't know if he'll he'll be jumping at it, to be real. I mean, I think, like, if you really think about what Jake Paul's done, you know, if we just kind of, like, uh, take the, you know, zoom out a little bit, um, what Jake Paul's done has been clearly 
remarkable to see for someone who was, you know, just a YouTuber. And the amount of belief that he had to have in himself to get to this point, I mean, I'll take my hat off to him. I don't think I could have done it. I don't think most people could have done it. And to see that shattered, and especially like he didn't get knocked out. He can't say there was a there was a lucky shot. Um, he really got beat to the punch like quite often in the fight. I think that like is shattering to his psyche, if that's the right word there. I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like that's something that like kind of rocks him to his core. And so I understand if he would be kind of dejected after the fight and non-committal when it comes to a rematch. Yeah, I've seen him in person. I like I think I told you I went to hit his press conference against uh this guy's name. Um who's the fight he had that got it got canceled against the dude's son? Hold uh, uh Raman. Rock Rahman. Yeah, yeah, Raman, Raman. I went to that press conference and he he definitely had like fighter swag a little bit. Like he seemed like super arrogant, super cocky, and like he did have that that self-belief that like I'm not here to lose. And so for him to like taste that first, you know, that first defeat, I, I don't think he probably didn't expect it. He probably, he probably listened to the hype a little bit. Everyone was saying Tommy ain't shit. Jake was a betting favorite. It was close, but he was the betting favorite. And so you, you probably have a very good point. He's just like extremely shocked. Yeah. Um, not the best year for MVP promotions. Amanda Serrano took an L now Jake Paul. What do they got left? Ashton Silv. Hey, somebody, <laughs> whatever his matchmaking is, just drop it a notch just to be safe. Wait till that year <laughs> mark passes and, you know, we can get it out of our system. Uh, Yeah, so you do you think that um, Jake Paul fights anyone else other than Tommy Fury at any point? Like next or in general? In general. So let's just assume that the Fury rematch happens. You think Jake Paul has another fight after that? Mm, nah, to be honest, I think he'll do the rematch and like win or lose. That 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 should be the end of it. Cause like I don't think that if he wins, I think win or lose, win or lose, you can't bring the gimmick back here into America. I think like by fighting outside of the country, like you're gonna lose a lot of traction. If he loses, obviously it's like two losses in a row. Like what's the point? And if he wins, he's not gonna continue to get these big ass paydays anymore. Like Showtime, Showtime got their hands full. They're not doing it. Top Rank don't do pay per views, well, in, in, for the most part. "Quote unquote," did one. I mean, they, their involvement was, as you can see on the broadcast, absolutely minimal. Yeah, I forget who made this point, right? But I, I like the point that someone made, which was that like it really like Top Rank didn't want to be involved per se, but since like they have an exclusive deal with uh, ESPN. The, they, the pay-per-view kind of had to go like under their umbrella. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was like was, Tom or something like that. I no, forget who I made, made that, that point. I like that point. Oh, th thank you. Jeez, yeah. I don't, I don't get, I don't get enough praise for the points I make every now and then. Uh, so yeah. Um, <laughs> the undercard was a little bit of a joke. We're not talking about that. Um, but I will say that there's probably one more fight that, I mean, to be honest, they probably should have done this fight instead of the Tommy Fury fight, uh, which is the KSI fight, which I still think is probably going to do a pretty good number. But I feel like that will be the swan song of YouTube influencer boxing, <clears throat> I think. 
But look, you know what's so crazy is like it all fits into the 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 bigger like theme of this podcast is this is the transition rolling out in front of our faces. Jake was the face of YouTube boxing, and he don't have he's at the end of the road, just like a lot of these fighters we were talking about earlier on the Patreon. It's it's all on brand. Um, all right, so uh, let's talk about this now. Uh, obviously, Tank Ryan got announced. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But I want to talk about Saudi Arabia. We have, you know, over the couple of years that Saudi Arabia has become a player in terms of, like, people are actually going and doing fights there. We've criticized that quite a bit, you know, for either the, you know, the human rights element of this all the way up into, uh, you know, the damage it can do to the sport. But I'm here to say... And why this is so relevant right now is because we got possibly Deontay Wilder, you know, going over to the to Saudi Arabia. He was at the event, likely meeting with people like, um, you know, the the sports minister or whatever of Saudi Arabia, which obviously has connections to, uh, you know, Daniel Kinahan, who's the cartel man, and. Um, whether they they're laundering money or sports washing their country, there seems to be some level of desire to bring events there to Saudi Arabia. And um, you talk about the transition in boxing that's happening right now. And like I, the, the thing that really bothers me is I think that this is really harmful to the sport. And I don't think people realize why it is. And I don't, you know, let's put aside the whole morality of going to Saudi Arabia, which is fine. Well, actually, it's not fine. Uh, but let's put it aside for right now, because that's obviously a completely different beast here. But what is happening, why Saudi Arabia is a player for these fights, is not because a ton of people in Saudi Arabia are going to go buy a ticket to watch the fight, or a whole bunch of people over there are going to order the pay-per-view, no one gives a shit about boxing there. And yet, fights continue to happen in this place where there's a lot of free money flowing around. Now, on one hand, good for the fighters. If you could go get that check, go get that check. Ain't, you know, no, we're not going to pocket watch. That That's up to you. If you want to go cash, you know, $10, 50000000 million to fight a, fight a fight, that's cool. But where it's damaging in the sport of boxing is that in the history of fights happening in Saudi Arabia... No one has ever come back more popular. And most of the time, your popularity diminishes. We're at a point right now where Anthony Joshua has fought in Saudi Arabia twice, and his fight with Jermaine Franklin coming up, last I checked, was not sold out. That is very uncharacteristic of Anthony Joshua. And I think win or lose, had this guy still been fighting in the UK, he'd have that rabid fan base there right behind him. Ain't nobody, you know, there... Sell, you know, he's not selling out his tickets anymore. And it's not even at a stadium. They're doing an arena show this time. Now, the problem is, is unless Saudi Arabia continues to keep paying this money, which at some point I imagine they're not, because no one just gives away free money forever. What the, the issue is that market value for fighters does not match up with what they believe they are worth or what they've been getting. And I think Deontay Wilder is a really interesting thing. Now, let's 
full disclosure, we are members of the bomb squad. Now, Lex, you got kicked out at one point, but you were allowed back in. <laughs> we're members of the bomb squad. We love Deontay Wilder. Lex, for better or worse, might have started the whole Glovegate thing. Might have. Lex thinks Definitely it is. Did. Lex thinks he started it. Artman would, uh, you know, he, he, he'd probably disagree. But, you know, whatever. But Deontay Wilder going over there when he has this avenue with PBC to do pay-per-views. There's clearly a fight with Andy Ruiz that I think would, would do pretty okay. And yet Deontay Wilder's looking at all of his options, including going over to the Middle East. And, and by the way, I think that that is absolutely going to happen. Now, here's why. I think Deontay Wilder, coming off of two losses to Tyson Fury, those fights, whether you want to admit it or not, and Lex, as a member of the Bomb Squad, if you want to just plead the fifth here, you're, you're totally allowed to. But those fights showed all the holes in Deontay Wilder and kind of showed that his right hand can't always get it done. And it just kind of killed the illusion uh, and the mystique of Deontay Wilder. And with, with Fury, those three pay-per-views every single time outperformed what was it, it was they were expected to do. So he went and had huge success with Fury, made a lot of money on those pay-per-views, and then uh, you know he suffered two losses, and then both of the losses were pretty bad, uh, all things considered. Then he fights Robert Hellenius on pay-per-view, and that did not perform well. And I think Deontay Wilder looks at that and says, hmm, I don't know, I think I'm worth more. You know, I just did two fights ago, a million by pay-per-view with Tyson Fury. What happened? And now he's got to look around to say, I want to get paid like that. But the problem is the market always tells you what you're worth. If you're worth $30 million, you're going to get $30 million worth of people buying your pay-per-view and buying tickets to, to your fight. Canelo is showed that he's multi-million dollar fighter. He's worth that much money. You know, sells the pay-per-views, or at least he did with the Caleb Plant fight. They did an $18 million gate. Like, you know, th th that's what's up. That's not Deontay Wilder. But here's the, the catch, though. You go to Saudi Arabia to chase that money. Your market value continues to drop because not as many people are going to watch you in Saudi Arabia. You're not going to get the big wide-scale promotion that you would get fighting in the U.S. or even fighting in the U.K. as you would get. In Saudi Arabia and now what happens well you know the sport kind of hurts because we don't got a Deontay here or uh, you know in the UK you don't have your you don't have Joshua fighting there and it kind of harms things long term because that's one less star that's there and as more guys you know I think Devin Haney's kind of like pitching to go over there to fight Haney is a guy that like your earnings completely outpaced what you're actually like worth in the market very quickly. You know, he goes from showbox to earning millions on th those matchroom cards, which was a complete overpay. And I think by going to top rank, they say he took less money, but now he's looking to get paid a lot of money. And that's why he's saying the Saudi Arabia thing. But Devin, Hain, he's not a star, but he's expecting to get paid like one. <coughs> and the more people do this, the more we take the sport away from the countries where they actually thrive, the U.S., I guess you could say U.S. and its surrounding territories like 
Canada and Mexico and the UK. We'll throw an Ireland there because we got a listener from Ireland that, you know, is our friend. Those I, are the sports. I think, it's, I think beyond, you know, mentioning that it's where the sport thrives, I think it's important to say that you're taking away the leverage of PBC, a top rank, a matchroom, or Queensberry has with the networks. You need these networks to pay the fighters and to pay and, and to even have like a, a big platform for pay-per-views. And like when the popularity of the sport is shrinking, why would Showtime invest big money into boxing when all these fights, they just go to Dubai? Well, it's also worth mentioning though, that, you know, to that point, the network deals are dependent on what they perceive the boxing's worth is in the marketplace. So that's eyeballs which generate ad dollars or eyeballs that come in the form of subscriptions. So Fox and ESPN, I think both renegotiated their deals with PBC and Top Rank, uh, Top Rank respectively, where I think they're either, well, in Fox's case, I don't know what the fuck Fox is doing. I wouldn't be shocked if they just announced like, hey, we're doing a pay-per-view. Uh, that wouldn't shock me. <laughs> Um, but we saw after, certainly during when the pandemic started, and I think with ESPN as well, they renegotiated those deals, said, we want less cards and we want to spend less money. And, um, you know, the product does not look the way it did three years ago. And, uh, for, for both of those networks. And I think that that is reflection of the value that boxing they feel was giving their networks and Showtime still, you know, going strong. I mean it's hard to not think you're going strong when you put on tank versus Ryan, the most anticipated fight in boxing, uh, amongst the hardcores and casuals. I think certain casuals are not as big into some other fights that at least I, and probably you guys listening are super hyped about, but, um, you know, the, but those, those dollar figures for the, you know, those network deals, which has largely been what, has driven the sport for the last 40, 50 years now, actually probably longer. Um, that's all based in a reality of what they think fans are going to bring to the table. And now we're having a situation where like the fans are being removed and, uh, you know, fans are being removed from the, from the equation. But I think it is to the detriment of, like the actual growth of the sport at large. Cause I don't know, man, I don't think boxing's ever really going to take off anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's short sighted and unfortunate because we have so many people in the boxing community that a don't understand the business at all, or they do and don't care. And they're just like looking to continue the grift, which is like, give me this quick Dubai money. It's easy. I don't have to work and be strategic and be smart. And I'll figure out the next grift once this one runs out. And that's unfortunate because there is there there could potentially be terrible consequence to continuing these Dubai fights. Now, like in the case of Wilder, like he's at the end of the road, right? And you know, you mentioned his his skills being exposed, but like who cares? 
I think what is dangerous about what happened with Wilder is that, like, there's no real end of the rainbow anymore. You know, they, they say at the end of every rainbow, there's like a big pot of gold. Not well, in boxing. Tank, huh? Not in boxing. Well, there is, no, there is in boxing because if, if Tank beats Ryan, you know, every Tank f- fight moving forward has the potential to do like half a million pay-per-view buys in Vegas. And that, that comes with site fees, uh, sponsorship. Um, you know, I don't think Tank's guarantee will be that much. You know, while there, his last four or five guarantees may have been like 20 or 30 million, I, I don't see Tank making that right this second. Maybe down the line if he continues to win. But it'll all make sense, like, on the balance sheet. Um, I mean, you could do Tank versus Pitbull, too. Big fight. Tank versus Frank Barton. Pretty good fight. Tank versus uh, some of those top-ranked guys. Those would be big fights. I mean, he has the opportunity to make big fights. With Wilder, I don't see it. Because it's just like, like what? He does Fury 4. In the, he'll have to go to the UK, so that's out the window. I don't know if Eddie Hearn will ever let Joshua fight a uh, Wilder, so that's out the window. Ruiz is a pretty good fight, but Ruiz and Wilder, they may ask for like, what, like 30 or 40 million up front. I mean, it's a lot to pay for, for a fight that only does like, I don't half a million buys, 600,000 buys, and I'm being generous. So, I mean. That's being it's, overly generous. Overly generous. I, I mean, I think, I think it could do half a million with like the proper promotion, but it's still asking for a lot, and it's asking for a lot when we don't know the status of Fox. Showtime has a, a pretty like hefty plate of like great fights that aren't very expensive, but are performed just as good as Wilder versus Ruiz, in my opinion. So I think like, um, you know, if, cause the demand in boxing has been like, so like, you know, upfront money has been like the, the little buzzword that everyone's talking about, but like, the upfront money is the fighter's way typically of like, um, you know, mitigating risk, but like boxing, everything is a risk in boxing. And like, no one is taking the risk on this guaranteed money. No one, unless you're Canelo, there's usually only one guy ever in boxing, literally one guy in the sport before Canelo was Floyd who can say, yeah, I want X dollars up front. And they just say, all right. Yeah, it's cool. We, we have it. We know you're going to hit your marks. No problem. But no one else is like that. No one is safe. No one is safe. There's no sure bet in boxing. Can, can you um, explain? Like, I think it may be worthwhile to like quickly like talk about why boxing isn't like that. Like all other sports are like that, right? NBA, so four years, a hundred fifty million dollar deal, win or lose doesn't matter. Tear your ACL doesn't matter. So on and so forth. Why can't boxing be like that? Because the ratings aren't good enough, and the networks don't like so let's just take let's take somebody else who's not in boxing so nobody gets their feelings hurt let's take cbs no let, let's take nbc nbc doesn't have any boxing r.i.p ring city um <laughs> so if nbc is going to sign a deal and let's say in the nba they say okay our nba rights deal which they're probably going to get the nba back i think in 2025 uh round ball rock is making a return let's but go. um I think they look at it and say, well, what is boxing actually worth a year? Well, they're going to look at what are the average ratings? And then based off of those ratings, where are those ratings strong in which demos? 
Now, can we sell advertisements to those demos? And for this, you know, average amount of eyeballs. And let's say NBC is probably going to say, well, average will probably do about 1.1 million viewers. That's not much, you know. Their daytime Nickelodeon shows do higher numbers than that. And so, you know, how much advertising can you sell? And oh, by the way, like, you know, it's, there's, there's also a potential that your ad doesn't get seen because the card could end in an hour and a half instead of the two and a half hours that we're booking it for because dudes get knocked out occasionally. And so, um, you're not going to be able to show all those ads. So, you know, if you look at what ESPN's paying or what, um, Fox was paying, that's based off of the advertising revenue that they think boxing is worth. Plus, you know, what it brings per, you know, in ESPN's case, uh, to ESPN plus, which, uh, based off of what I'm seeing, you know, looking at the quality of these cards and stuff like that, is not a ton. And, you know, that's just the faith that the networks have in boxing. But I think that's based in reality. Boxing is not is a niche sport. You're following something like that is not very popular. And so there's like, what, one or two boxers that, you know, you poll 100 random people on the street and they could say their name. You know, and so that's kind of the issue. And if you offset that with like, oh, guaranteed Saudi oil money, like, okay, but what are you helping? You, We've seen the live golf tournament be a disaster for golf because it forms this huge rift within golf. Live can't get a fucking TV deal. Like, they did get one. It's a tape delay on the CW, Um, you know. The, the same CW that you used to watch like Batwoman on or something. Uh, you know, that's, that's their deal. And so, I mean, it just creates a lot of issues for a sport that is going to be overinflated for a while until it's not. And then it's a huge retraction and interest has been killed and fighters are like, well, we're not fighting until we get X dollars and those dollars just are never going to come. You know, I think it's also, uh, also, it's good to throw in the fact that, like, you know, with, like, the NBA or the NFL, you could plan a schedule for, like, a decade. Like, nothing's changing with the NBA schedule. Like, the finals would be in, like, June or whatever. It's going to be the same always. Super Bowl, same thing. MLB, same thing. Yo, boxing schedule is the most up-in-the-air shit there could possibly be a failed drug test of the A side or B side, an injury. So, uh, God doesn't feel like fighting because of X reason. There's so much that just changes the sport from week to week, day to day. They're like, you can't play in shit, honestly. I, that's actually a really, we should probably do an episode on that someday of like, just like, all right, let's just list all the issues that exist with scheduling boxing. Cause like one thing I was thinking of is like, rankings are not entirely predictable and if anybody's ever watched videos from like a like a sanctioning body convention it is the most unscientific shit ever the the rankings are a joke now i think that generally they're pretty much like okay yeah i guess that they all make sense you know so it's not like um it's not like i'm not saying it's like wwe rankings or anything like that but 
rankings change frequently, not based off of the quality of who you're beating, but like on your ability to actually make the argument that the win was better than it actually was. It's literally all it is. It's like me going and saying, I think Sergio Martinez should be ranked number one in the, uh, at middleweight right now. And here are my reasons. His last opponent was 5-0 and coming in with two knockouts. No one else in the top five has faced opposition with records that good or something like that. That's literally how it goes. And, and oh, by the way, I am just the fighter's representative. I'm like, could be their manager, their promoter, whatever. And then the sanctioning body guys are like, oh, yeah, that, that all checks out. Put them at number one. <laughs> Sounds good. And then somebody else comes up and makes a great argument. And they're like, put them at one. Well, we can't move one, we already put in there, and you can't be two because two's already like, you know, he's locked in because he's going to already uh, scheduled for an eliminator and we can't rank him lower. So you're going to get three. So yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Tank versus Ryan. We kind of avoided talking about this situation for a while. I think one of the most interesting things about this, actually, it's not interesting. It's actually kind of sad. Speaking of, uh, you know, the difficulty scheduling is that Showtime has had to, and PBC have had to hold up releasing their schedule because of this fight. And, you know, I thought that we'd come to find out, and this would totally make sense that, um, you know, while they, you know, they, they wanted to know if they were going to do this fight, how much money they were going to have to allocate to this fight. Uh, Cause that would kind of make it tricky to do some other fights that may be more expensive, you know? And it comes to find out that Golden Boy was the one having issues with the zone. And they held up the announcement of the fight. And what was revealed on a space by, I think it was Rob Tebbit, he said that Golden Boy doesn't actually have a deal with the zone. That they're basically going month to month with them right now, like a rental. Which is kind of sad to me that Golden Boy would be in that position. But also kind of doesn't like track with me that if that was the case like why didn't they just say like uh showtime i mean we have virgil ortiz we have william zapata surely these guys could like fight some of your guys you guys got anything for us because we don't actually have like you know that we aren't that tied down to the zone if they're out here paying us month to month we could have got this shit announced weeks ago i mean i said for the longest that like golden boy having a partnership with PBC would be like a genius play on both sides, but you know, personalities always get in the way of a lot of great things in sports always. Well, I mean, I, I think there's like, just like a fundamental disagreement over how to conduct business between Golden Boy and PBC, you know, whereas PBC is like, say nothing, show nothing. And Oscar's like, I'm making the fucking fight. You casuals. <laughs> <laughs> fucking with it oh, f-u-c-k-e-n dude oscar had a hell of a week on twitter the guy it's it's so obvious oscar had absolutely nothing to do with this fight getting made because he was out here saying the fight was going to happen on a day that it did not happen on or that is not going to happen on it's like oh my god dude how did i want to know whose job it was to entertain oscar while ne real negotiations were going on but having also oscar think that Somehow he was having some effect on the, the negotiation. That must have been a very thankless job. Uh, so I yeah. mean, it's really a shame, though, because, like, 
like look at like you've got all these promotions that are like sending fights to like Dubai and weird places. And I, I really appreciate the work that Golden Boy does when it's like their fight. Like they'll find like a nice little community that will support like whoever, Virgil Ortiz or whatever fights they have. And they always have like decent little shows. But they don't have like a platform that like really seems to be wanting to help them. And I, I think, you know, if they were willing to get with PBC, I think it'd be again a perfect match, but just won't do it. And yeah. again, wait, real quick, I think it would help Oscar. Oscar doesn't need to be like like Oscar doesn't need to be a business guy. He needs to just like do his little like Samson Lukowitz, like say his little two cents, shake hands, kiss some babies, and keep it moving, bro. Like you don't like I don't know. I, I think that's never going to happen with Oscar. You have a guy who's been totally in the spotlight and been a star his whole career. Um, I don't think he can ever just not be in the, be in the spotlight. You, you saw him, I think, and Tank tweeted it out and then deleted it. But, like, Oscar tweeted the morning and the day before basically trying to hint that something, the announcement was coming for the fight. And he just couldn't help himself that he had to be the one to at least kind of like let some people know, or if you could pick up on the signs of like, Oh, I know the fight's going to happen. That's uh, you know, that's just his thing. But anyway, onto the fight. I think the obvious thing that everyone wants to know is how, how is this going to play out? I mean, now that it's like official, that's like pretty much all there is to talk about how it's going to play out and how many pay-per-view buys does it do? I mean, I can think of some more, but go on. Really? Why don't you keep going? No, no, no. I, I want to know how how you think it's going to play out. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like the sa- the safe and obvious pick is Tank, but I I mean, I I think you have to like respect what Ryan brings to the table. As someone who's a Wilder fan, or maybe like uh like old Wilder fan. <laughs> um, the other you, know, you are dead to us. I I don't want to say I dare dead, you go in, but I, no I, no. Not not feeling the direction. You know what, Deontay? Go to the Middle East. Take your fucking egg weight with you. When you need an autopsy done, come back. I got you. I won't go that far, but I am disappointed that this is like... Uh, it, it just doesn't really add up to me. No matter how you try to sell it, but whatever. It's all good. But anyway. De- Deontay, yeah. you come to my house, I'm poisoning you. <laughs> disappointed. But look, it's a fight, right? Like... People always try to overanalyze like the tactics, like, oh, this guy's footwork or this pivot or who could throw a better right. Yo, it's a fight, man. Yo, all the tactics don't matter. It's all about how they match up. And Ryan, at the end of the day, is taller than Tank, an explosive puncher. He's a strong single shot puncher. And that that's like dangerous for anyone to fight. You know, so I, I, I think, like, at both guys' best, it should be a t- Like, Tank has all the advantages, but it doesn't mean that Tank is just guaranteed to win. Like, put the house on him. And I also don't think Tank has earned that quite yet. Like, guys like Floyd, Ward, uh, shit, like Canelo for, like, a stretch earned that. Tank is still proving that. So... You know, I lean tank, but I'm I'm excited to see it. It's a good fight, and if, whoever wins should get full credit. Yeah, I think it's going to be super important for Tank to make this into a boxing match. And I think if 
Tank allows Ryan to plant his feet. I think if you watch Ryan, the footwork is very important in his fights. When Ryan can't plant his feet, that's where he gets into trouble. And he's not as great um, with with his power if he's moving. you know. But when he gets to set and throw that counter left hook, I think he's extremely dangerous. And, um, you know, Tank is obviously a guy that we've seen be able to show that he can box. Uh, what I'm curious is that if Ryan thinks that he can move, like walk forward on him, because we've seen Tank, uh, we've seen in Tank's last few fights, guys try to just back him up and like make him uncomfortable by making it rough in there with him. And I think we saw Isaac Cruz have a lot of tr uh, a lot of success with that in the fight, where um, you know, he, he basically just kept pushing uh, Tank back. And ultimately, you know, it's it's also not the, the best idea because Tank is like such a sharp counterpuncher. But I think, um, you know, I I think the fight's gonna look a lot like the Roly fight, where Ryan's gonna get punches off. He's gonna be pushing Tank back, and uh, you know, at the end of the fight, people are gonna walk away saying Ryan did so much better than I than I ever thought he would do. But Tank should be able to find him at some point. And I don't think Ryan's got the best chin. Uh, you know, I, I think more so he'll probably get hit with something that is a counter that he wasn't expecting is likely to happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I look, the the best result, it, I, I think that is one of the best results, assuming that, um, you know, in, in the event that you're picking Tank, is that Ryan looks like he's still dangerous. Because if Ryan looks like he's still dangerous, I mean, damn. There's just so many matchups you can start to imagine uh, in the lightweight division. And a lot of it, you know, you don't want Ryan to come in here looking like a clown and like he has no business at this level because he clearly has not fought anybody that is even close to where Tank is at right now. Uh, but anyway, back to the other things to talk about. Like, I'm curious how they're going to promote this. Uh, I imagine that they're going to do multi-city press conference, I think. Those will be open to the public. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what TV shows they send them on. Because, uh, like, on on one level, I think that you don't have to promote, promote this to boxing fans. But, like, this is not a fight that you promote to boxing fans. Like, you just, you you count them, th their tickets already. You count their, their, their pay-per-view buys. You're looking to reach, like, the fan bases that these two individual fighters have. Uh, I'll be interested in to see what this press looks like because based off of that is going to tell me what the expectation is for how big this fight is going to be. And uh, I don't know, this might have a chance at hitting over a million buys. I think doing the least, they hit a million buys. I think doing the most, they have a chance to like do like one point something like 1.3, 1.4. I mean, I that's, that's not a ton I mean, it, of buys that you're adding. Huh? 1.3 or 1.4? Listen, man, I told you. In the era of social media, everything is amplified. You, you, It's like a cheap way to get legitimate attention. Like, just think, right? If, if say, say Showtime partners with House of Highlights, Bleacher Report, and uh, ESPN's Instagram. I mean, those pages have... 30, 40 million, 50 million followers? Let's check, actually. I don't know. I'm throwing out some pretty big numbers. I know that this has never been done before, but 
and I may be giving away. Luckily, we're deep into the podcast and no one. But like, it would be interesting if in the build up to this fight, the all access wasn't on Showtime, but instead they licensed it out to like Netflix. I mean, they they could. That's the thing. Like, we're we've never had a fight like this before. I stand by these comments, and we'll see as we get closer to the fight. But it's boxing's first social media super fight. So House of Highlights has 40 million Instagram followers. Bleacher Report has 20 million. A a big boxing fight alone can get like, I mean, Wilder Fury did 800,000, supposedly. It may have done a million. That's without these big built-in fan bases already. Why can't it do an extra 400,000? It's not a lot of people for a fight of this magnitude. I, I really believe that. Well, what I'm saying um, is that you said bare minimum it does one, but if they do the max, it does 400, 1.4. So I'm thinking like that doesn't seem like a ton you're adding if you're doing you're going from nothing doing no you know bare bare oh, minimum. Oh, because because I, I don't I don't want to like I don't want to get too crazy and be like oh it'll do like two million. I think that's like it's like I don't think it's like a two million. That's too much. That's too much. But I I do think 1.3 or 1.4 is attainable. Like that's legitimate. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up right there because um, we've gotten complaints that the episodes are too long. So we're going to try to keep them around an hour. If you don't like that, if you want more, uh, go to patreon.com slash Sunday puncher. We uh, do about two to three podcasts a week over there of varying different topics. Uh, I think it's great value. It's like a dollar. I mean, I'm not even like um, being sarcastic there. Uh, you can get in for as low as a dollar. Um, you also get access to our Patreon chat, which, I mean, realistically, you don't even have to like follow Twitter, Reddit, or anything. You can just be in that chat and be up to date on literally everything that's happening in the boxing world because of everyone making sure to post everything. So that's we appreciate it if you did that. If you don't, that's all right. Um, if you want to help us out, share the podcast. Help us grow it. Uh, bring more people into the fold. Uh, you can leave a good rating or a review if you'd like to do that. You don't have to, though. We uh, are in the strict don't tell people what to do uh, camp here. But anyway, uh, Lex, sorry to hear about, you know, you leaving the bomb squad yet again. But The know, bomb squad left the bomb squad. Oh, that that is deep. That is very he deep. Did. It did. They, he over here working with the, the ops. That's not. That's not bomb squad. How? Baby. I mean, when when Deontay said back in blood, and then he went to uh, you know show Fury love at the fight, that had to hurt. I saw the footage. If you watch the video, it wasn't like it was like kind of an awkward exchange. So I like give him the benefit of the doubt. But the fact he's over there working with like the same people that were like really out to get him. And he's like happy about it. It's just like very weird. It's not not comfortable. I'll hey. I'll, I'll pardon the Fury handshake because it was just like whatever. If they, they asked him about it, he was just like, he's like I'm a fighter. Like it's you know it's part of the game. So I, it's not like he was like yeah I love Fury. He didn't say that, but for him to be over there and just like again with the ops, it's not it's not what we do. If we hear a news story that somebody vandalized the Deontay Wilder statue in Alabama. Uh, will <laughs> we find buckets of 
paint in your garage. Nah, that's OD. That's too much. That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's too crazy. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this one. More over on the Patreon, and we will see you next time.